Hey, exclusive for listeners of this podcast, Web Mechanics will do 10 to 20 hours of work for you for free. Literally no sales calls, no BS. Just give them a problem and they will put a team to work for you for free for 10 to 20 hours. Even if you're already a client, if you're struggling with demand gen, lead gen, SEO, SEM, Google ads, LinkedIn ads, conversion optimization. If you can't get Facebook or meta ads to work for the life of you, or you can't figure out attribution, web mechanics will take a good hard look at whatever problem you give them, whatever programs you put in front of them, and they will give you an objective informed opinion, plus some advice from 10 to 20 hours of senior level attention. So I would suggest take them up on this offer. It's ridiculous. Go to revenue-driven-cmo.com slash free fill out the two minute form and you will not regret it literally zero downside unlimited potential for growth so do yourself a favor revenue driven cmo.com slash free no hyphens no punctuations you will be happy about that decision there are secrets out there guys performance marketing secrets and knowing just one or two of them can absolutely light up your funnels let's go this is the revenue driven cmo i'm your host chris mechanic join me as i uncover the secrets of the world's most elite cmos marketing leaders the revenue driven cmo is sponsored by web mechanics the ai driven performance agency that makes you smarter hey everybody welcome to another episode of revenue driven cmo i'm your main man chris mechanic got a really really exciting episode for you uh, our guest today is a hundred percent self-made. Came up uh, through, you know, kind of the hard knock way in the mortgage industry, um, and has played basically every single role in that building um, until now. He is uh, officially chief marketing and sales officer uh, at a company you may know called Loan Depot, publicly traded billion dollar player. Um, in the loan space. So I'm super duper excited to uh, jump into it with them. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Alec Hansen. How are you, Alec? Woo! What's up, Chris? Good to see you, dude. Let's go, baby. Nice <laughs> I just love your energy, man. I really, I really enjoy your energy. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, that's hard to describe it, but you seem, <laughs> you seem cool yet. Um, you, you know your shit for lack of a better. I'm trying, just trying. For lack of a better way to say it. <laughs> Um, and I see you online, man. You've got a great following you've built you. on social and and you've got your site. You're putting out tons of content. So good on yes. you, man. Thank you. Yeah, that's been a lot. It's been a, journey, a, a, language, a, a labor of love. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, you've had an amazing career. I know you still got a lot um, of runway left in that career. But tell everybody that's listening, like, what's one of your best kept secrets in, in the way of marketing? You know, I... I I love that question, Chris. So, um, I, and I share it a ton. So I think it's only a secret for those that don't like hang out with me or really know me, but I, I'm, I feel very lucky to have spent 20 plus years in sales. And, you know, I often describe sales and marketing, like two sides of the same coin. They're, they're very different things, but they're very interconnected things. And I think what is a little bit of my superpower as I try to lean in more into this CMO opportunity is the fact that I just I understand and speak sales so intimately that I get a lot of credibility from our sales partners and our sales team because they kind of see yeah. me as one of them a little bit. They they listen a little more. Yeah. But also when I approach, you know, marketing angles, you know, I look a lot at the revenue side. I look a lot at the performance side. I look a lot at the emotional side and the game and like what we're trying to play here and how it's going to drive sales 
And so I think that interconnectedness kind of helps me with a unique perspective in our industry. hundred percent. Yeah. It's like, it's almost the way that a CEO has a view, like a, a, a view sure. of the entire business, you know? So if you're the CEO of a business, like your perspective is going to be a lot different than that of any salesperson or any marketer. Yeah. hundred um, percent. And the, like, I oftentimes, uh, when we're working with clients and we're writing copy, you know, for landing pages or mm-hmm. web pages, I love to get the sales team involved because they, like, yeah. they know the customer, like the marketing team, like, sure, we've got personas and we'll do market research and such. Yeah. But the sales team often writes the best copy in my experience. Yeah. You got to put a little compliance in there sometimes just to make sure the sales team isn't going this way. But yeah. yes, I totally agree. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, so how did you arrive in that seat? Like, how did it, yeah, I'm just curious, like, cause it so, sounds like you were killing it in sales. And then did you just one day wake up and be like, Hey, I, you know, <laughs> I want to try the marketing. No, it's, it's wild. So, you know, kind of like I mentioned before, I, I really do believe sales and marketing are interconnected. And I, I spent a lot of time leading sales. And then of course, trying to come up with new and creative ways to market. And and so the, the story, long story short was I, I was, really good at what I would call traditional origination strategies in lending because I, that's how I came up. That's what I did. And I, I, that's what, when I was a sales guy directly, like that's, that's what I did to win. And so I feel like I kind of had the book written on that. I kind of knew, I kind of knew it. And what do you but, mean by you look, that traditional origination? Yeah. Strategies? So like mo- the, the business that I came up in in mortgage was belly to belly referral based hundred percent commission salespeople in market. So these weren't buying leads. These weren't digital advertisers. This is just like hitting the streets, building relationships, driving referral-based business. Yeah, gotcha. So it's like that playbook I have nailed down. Mm. And then you fast forward and I'm running the Western United States and we have a huge team and this internet thing has become gigantic and social media has become prolific. And none of the strategies that I, I didn't have to leverage any of these in, in the glory days, but now it's real and it's around us. And so I joke that I'm the CMO now because I put videos out on the internet, but six years ago, I decided to become a practitioner in this space too. And I was doing it differently. I was doing it for recruiting. I was doing it for brand building. But if I could do it, I felt I could lead salespeople in a better and more effective way. So I got really passionate about digital and marketing and social media. And I I invested a lot of my, like you mentioned, my content strategy. I'm like, well, if I'm not going to talk the talk, I'm going to walk the walk and I'll figure it out along the way. And then literally, I mean, I, I get called into a meeting with our president and our CEO and they're, they tap me on the shoulder and they're like, we want you to be our CMO and kind of, you know, come in and do all this stuff that you've been preaching. Yeah. And I was like, you know, is it because I put videos on the internet? <laughs> this, this is the reason. So it's a pretty wild path um, into this role, but it also speaks to kind of our entrepreneurial culture here and this company that they would be willing to take a sales guy who has this kind of passion and, uh, and, and, and open that opportunity up. Um, but it's, it's pretty, it's a pretty wild ride. It makes so much sense though. Like given that the salespeople are so close to the customer and given that, you know, the best, the best marketers generally tend to be the ones that know the most about the customer. I'm surprised that I don't know more CMOs that came from a sales background. And I'm sure that there are some that like, you know, were sales really early in their career, but generally CMOs tend to come up the path of the marketing side. I think yeah. just kind of pondering here. I mean, it would make more sense to, to have your, uh, can, you know, your converters from sales to marketing, but I, I've got a two-sided question for you. Yeah. Like in your role now as marketing, how has your background in sales really 
been helpful? Like if you can mm-hmm. think of any specific examples where like, you're like, whoa, the way I'm thinking about this with my sales background is just like powerful. And then are there any ways that you feel like it might have held you back or like it might, you know, be uh, a disadvantage in a way, just like maybe there's a very sharp learning curve in some areas of marketing. Yeah. That's that's the first place I was going to go is just yeah the learning curve is is sharp and it's a, but I, I I really enjoy it I really enjoy the challenge and the the stretching and the growing like I really th- I find myself thriving in in positions of change I always enjoy that so it's a it's a it's a it's hard but it's very enjoyable mm-hmm. and that's definitely a, a learning curve issue that would be one of the largest challenges um, is on there- the advantage. Say again. Sorry to interrupt you, but um, anything specific learning curve wise that was just like a real, you know, a real pain to learn or to like. Well, have you gotten I, I think Google it, slapped, for instance. Yeah, no, I haven't gotten any. I, I, I'm lucky enough that when I don't know anything, I, I don't tend to put my foot in my mouth very quickly. I tend to hire people or or find other people who know what they're doing and start listening fast. Yeah. So there's a, there's a bit of humility that kind of helps me through that. I'm not. I'm not someone who jumps from the rooftop being like, I know everything, calm down. No, I think yeah. that's a, I think that's a failure of leaders too. They just, they have to know everything. That's not how it works. Um, but you know, on the flip side, kind of where the, the strengths opportunity like lies is I, you know, I feel like to your point, I have a really deep understanding of my customer. I've, I've sold to them. I've been sitting across from them. I know what their fears are and what their issues are. And then when you talk about support from our organization to our sales team, I know what they need, um, and I'm a good listener, and I have great connections and relationships there. Where if if for some reason I'm messing up, they're going to tell me <laughs> very honestly where they feel like I could get better. So, so our feedback loop's really tight, and I think that gives me an advantage in in leaning into the new space is bringing that perspective in and letting it help guide the decisions a little bit better. Yeah, now that makes a lot of sense. That makes a ton of sense. Cool. So. Uh, Let's talk about some of your big wins. I love hearing win stories. And I think I'm just looking at your uh, LinkedIn. So you, okay, so you're relatively new to that CMO role. You've been there for about a year, it looks like. For LinkedIn yeah, but we've anyway. had some significantly cool wins. Um, you know, w- one of them was when we stepped, when I stepped into the role, um, we, we hadn't really been very strategic with our social strategy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we've been active and in in the water, but not very strategic. And so one of the things that I'm very passionate about is my kind of consumer first mentality. And I think a lot of organizations um, stumble on this on their social strategy where they end up talking a lot about themselves versus things that the customer is really dealing with and cares about. Yeah. And and again, it's a personal viewpoint. So someone could be like, I don't agree, Alec. And I'd be like, that's great. But I feel like the more you talk about yourself and your rewards and your company's accolades, the less a customer is really into, like they don't, they don't care. Yeah, nobody they're, cares. They're, they're worried about what they're worried about. Yeah. I, I, it seems like you, you and I vibe on that. So we started talking directly to our customers on our social strategy. We started putting out content around problems they're facing and solutions and education and, and inspiration. And we got uh, a dramatic, like, you know, 4,000% increase in reach and exposure in just a very short period of time. Wow! Because people started to realize, like, oh, like, no, that's what I, that's what I care about. That's what I'm interested in. Let me engage. And then the secondary benefit, which was really cool, was then we we inspired our sales force to find their language in the space. And so it, it was kind of a, a double benefit where we got the reach and exposure we were looking for, but then the sales force went was able to emulate. 
and just say, mm. hey, well, I can do that too. And I can build my personal brand off that. And that's good content. That's a good direction. All you gotta do is turn the camera on and it was like, absolutely. So we were able to kind of help them drive their business and and increase the company's reach, you know, in in pretty substantial ways. That's just awesome. with a small pivot and a little perspective. Brilliant, brilliant. And um, you're talking organic social, or is that yeah. paid social, or both? Yeah, organic. That's awesome. What's your big uh, channel organically? Is it like mostly Facebook or um, Insta? So it, I guess those been, are. It, we're playing everywhere because I'm a big believer of like learning and I'll give you a funny example on that, Chris, like we've had content that did modestly okay on Instagram and absolutely like a hundred X on YouTube shorts. Mm. And so it's like same piece of content and that platform just ran it and ran with it. And Instagram was kind of like, meh. And so, you know, we're just, you know, I, I think that trying to predict the algorithms and these platforms is silly. I think you can just be a student of, what's happening and be learning and be adapting on the fly. Yeah. And that's been one of our biggest pickups is kind of just watching it. You know, mm -hmm. we have huge LinkedIn is massively powerful for us. Um, there's just such a great current like algorithm help there. That's fantastic. And, you know, we get to build brand and we get to drive leads and it's just, it's a double-edged win for us. So LinkedIn, uh, huh? LinkedIn. Yeah. Such a slept on platform. Interesting. Slept on. Wow, LinkedIn for B2C. You never hear anybody talking about that. So, you so guys are totally B2C, right? Dude, oh, absolutely. But I mean, look, 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 we have employee benefit packages. We have some B2B stuff that we like. You know, we love to give discounts for people for employers and and packages that way. Um, but the reason that I get all fired up on LinkedIn is there's these are human beings that have jobs. And most human beings that have jobs and resources, they tend to want to own a home or they own a home. And so I'm kind of like, check, check, check. Like they're checking all my boxes of like, who do I want to target? And people are on LinkedIn scrolling and doing what they do and they're networking and selling. And so they bump into our content and they're like, I didn't think of that. And, you know, as long as we're thoughtful and strategic in what we post and how we post and we don't become this annoying brand that's just kind of bugging them every day. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's a huge opportunity. That's awesome. Yeah, you guys have 54,000 followers on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. It's pretty huge. Very cool. So you said something that I that I liked and uh and and I'm thinking about B2B now, right? Yeah. Uh in a way. But you have this sales force and it sounds like you've armed them each to be like their own little mini marketing department, right? 100%. Like building up brand. Um, I think that that is a really powerful model, obviously, right? Like even if your average LO is getting whatever it is, a hundred views per video, like you just have the scale and the, you know, like, like you're literally activating this massive team of people to go out and market on your behalf. I think, uh, more B2Bs could and should do that. So, which is kind of how I'm interested in it and more B2Cs, frankly, right? Yeah. Like most, most B2Cs um, don't really do that or think about that. So tell me about like, has that always been your model um, or is that a new thing? And then how, how's it working? Like what types of mm -hmm. uh, outcomes are you seeing from that? Well, so before I was CMO, this was something I was very passionate about was how to continue to equip and expand the influence of our sales team. And again, when you're hyper-localized, you know, it's hard to get tons of reach because it's only who I can call on a one-to-one -one, or it's only who I can go visit or do pop-bys or schedule appointments. 
And so those things are crucially important, but they, they're not scalable to, to a degree. And like I said before, everyone's staring at their phones now all day long. And so it's like, where, where's the customer? Well, they're probably on these screens. And so pushing people to expand their reach, and you made that comment of like, well, they get a, like 100 views. And I'm sitting here like, can you imagine having 100 people in a room? Like, that's a lot of people. That's yeah. I, I, on social, you're like, you know, 100 people. But I'm like, no, no, 100 people saw your stuff and, and had an impression, at most a micro impression. And if you keep repeating that, oh my gosh, you know, your reach is going to start growing. You, you have no idea. Yeah. And so it's been incredible watching people find their voice in these platforms because I think that's a lot of like pushing authenticity is really big for me, not mm -hmm. just kind of talking heads and people, people are bored by that. Um, and, but once people have found their voice and start to really reach into this space, they make tons of influence happen for themselves and they grow their business. And it's been, it's been massively rewarding. Yeah. Now, is there, do you take any sort of scientific measurement, uh, approach in terms of outcomes or is it more like activity based where you're just like, Hey, you know, LO number one, like put out 10 videos, great work. Or like, is there any, uh, cause that, that seems like a nightmare to try to track. Well, it is, it is. So we, we definitely are still finding ourselves in the early innings of kind of inspiration and education for the, for the sales force. Yeah. As you can imagine, you know, just maybe you dealt with this in the early parts of your digital strategy with this stuff, but like turning the camera on and actually talking is terrifying for all oh, yeah. people. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's so they're like, screw you, bro. Like I'm not like, this is too tense. And I'm, you know, so just kind of, we're still in the education inspiration, how to step in. And then once people start to find their lane, they start putting out content. Um, the results end up speaking for themselves. I don't really have to track it, but their business grows. Mm -hmm. And we can watch it growing and we can watch their application volume and their, and their conversion pick up and all these things start to happen. And then they'll tell you because they're so excited that like this is this is augmenting my business. And I, I also like when we kind of talk about like layering and coaching on this, social as a CRM is kind of an internal little bit of a conversation piece here because it's not always about going viral or finding new contacts and prospects. Sometimes it's about staying in touch with your old customers and their sphere of influence. Yeah. And email marketing is just brutal. And I would say it's kind of dying because of how much spam we're all getting. And it's kind of, it's a threatened space. But if you have a chance, like if you're my past customer and you're not going to need me until maybe every five, seven years, maybe you only need me once in your life for a mortgage. But if we are in the same social sphere and I'm staying in touch and you're seeing my content and I'm seeing yours and we're talking every now and then, the likelihood of you having a buddy or a family member or a friend who's like, oh, I'm getting a mortgage and you going, oh, I got this great guy, I hang, you know, is, is just through the roof. Then if I put you on an email drip campaign that you hate me for. Right. So it's not always about just prospecting and trying to get new business. Sometimes it's about just cultivating relationships and, and converting old business. Yeah. Just being, just being there, staying top of mind. Hanging out. Yep. Because a lot of times like a friend will ask you like, like they'll be in the market to buy a house and like, Hey, where'd you get your, like, where'd you get your loan? Like, like, of course. Yeah. There's, there's and, definitely a. Yeah. And most people forget their loan officer. It's very normal. Cause it's like just a transaction. You kind of got, you know, your realtor said, use this guy or you want, you know, whatever you did and found somebody and then they're kind of gone. Yeah. And Cause you know, you're, you, who wants to remember their mortgage guy or gal. Right. Like it's not, it's not super sexy. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Cool. So, um, so are most, is most of your lead gen organic or do you guys do a lot of paid? So we do a ton of performance marketing and paid stuff here at Lone Depot. And you know, we, I, 
you got to view it at two different ways. I mean, the more our brand recognition is out there and the more our organic stuff is out there, the higher we convert in performance marketing. Mm-hmm. You know, the more exposure they've had to Lone Depot, whether they're seeing us in Major League Baseball or they're seeing our social content and they're, you know, building a, a viewpoint of us and building some goodwill, the second our performance marketing, our paid stuff hits, you know, we convert a lot stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also, in that brief window I've been CMO, we've seen an, a, a dramatic increase in organic conversion, like le- organic leads, just people coming to the website um, because they saw our social stuff and they connected to it and then they came and applied. So it, I, I think the ecosystem's really connected. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I would say they're definitely very connected. Yeah, and uh, I think pretty much any uh, business with with like a lo- like a location specific model. So think about loan officers. Think about doctors. Yeah. You know, anything yep. medical really, like where like the the physical location really matters. There's a big opportunity to activate your localized teams is one thing, but then also think about like, let's imagine on Facebook that you can find a really, really profitable campaign or build a really, really profitable campaign that's super geo specific and works really, really well in geo X. Like you could basically copy and paste that and just flip the geos out. Right. And arm. You know, and then in that way, you're getting hyper local leads. But um, in your world, even like if you have uh, a rep in Minnesota or whatever it is that is really crushing it on social, right? Then maybe some of their organic content can be like played into the paid, you know, like that, like your, your local Minnesota person who's just, you know, smashing in Minnesota. Some of our best paid content is stuff that went really well organically. Yeah. You know, cause that now we, now we have kind of a, it, it, they're, they're writing the playbook for us and we're watching it. Yeah. And, you know, I think that kind of what makes us unique too, as a, as a player in the mortgage space is, you know, our chairman and our founder, Anthony Shea would always say, serve people the way they, the way they want to be served. Mm. And so we have a local strategy for that, which is very unique in our marketplace. Some of our big competitors are very call centric. And they don't have local 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 strategies, but we have both. So we're serving the digital customer digitally, and and through phone, telephony, and then we're serving local people the way they want. If they want to come in local, they want to pop by the store. They want to come in and bring their paperwork. You know, we have that angle too, and that really gives us kind of a full rounded strategy. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. Ton of sense. So, um. It sounds like you guys are crushing it. Congratulations. I'm well, really this impressed. is a tough market. Let's just let's just recognize like mortgage is very cyclical. Yeah. And you know, rates can go in wacky different ways. So 2020 and 2021 were dramatically amazing because of COVID and the interest rate environment. And you know, the last couple of years have been very normalizing, which is very painful for an industry that expands out to support so much capacity and then has to contract back to a more normal market. Yeah, um, but I'm really proud of our team. They work really hard. We got great people here, and we're we're still doing a ton of work, great work for people. Yeah, and that's a perfect seg because yeah. we're moving into like the challenges part uh, of the conversation. I know. I mean, theoretically, I know that uh, the the mortgage and lending space, obviously, when interest rates five x basically like in a year, it's going to be painful. But what's it like? <laughs> Like for somebody that's not really lived it, like what actually happens? And then what does it look like in a period 
like we're in today where the fed's like kind of saying that they're done raising and nobody yeah. really knows when the rates like give us an inside view of that so i always describe this industry as get on a roller coaster and put on a blindfold and then just experience what's going to happen you know like you just you just don't it, it's like i mean there's great economists and people that can predict and that try to predict the moves of the market but like you just can't. And like COVID's a great example. Like no one saw that coming. And then rates went to absolute, like the lowest they've ever been. And the mark, and then you're just, you're just free falling and you, you don't have enough capacity. Everyone's drowning. Everyone wants to loan at the same time. And then yeah. the other direction now, as rates went up in one of the highest climbs they've ever done since the Carter administration, you know, shocked the market. Everyone's, you know, got bloodied and battered around. And so it really is a while, like it, mortgage is not for the faint of heart. Like you gotta, you gotta really be a little bit of a psycho masochist to deal with the changes that come in our space. Yeah. So, you know, the challenge is it's an ever evolving world, not just the interest rate world, but marketing is ever evolving. New platforms are coming and being introduced. Consumers are changing how they do business and you got to continue to be nimble and you got to listen. And I think the people that think they have it figured out are the first ones to lose. Like, yeah. As soon as you're like, I'm nailing this, like you better be looking behind you because something's coming for you. Like I'm going to change. Yeah. And uh, that's always a challenge for us. Yeah. When was the last time uh, that something like this happened in your, in that world? Well, we had, you- we had the great mortgage meltdown in 2008 that kind of lasted from eight to 10. Yeah. Where that's right. tons of companies got washed out. I mean, if, I feel honestly, having been in the business 22 years and my dad's been in it like at 40 years. Um, it, it feels like every 10 to 10 to 12, maybe 15 years, there's like a radical upheaval, like something crazy is going to happen. And then it kind of seems to settle again. Um, who knows if that's going to maintain their trend or not, but that's kind of what it feels like. Yeah. And then at what point is it like, okay, the coast is clear. This is starting to turn back, you know, into like what we're, what we're used to. Is it when the fed starts cutting rates or is it like after you know, a year of rate cuts. It really has to do when normalcy starts to set in. And and let me explain. Like, so rates during COVID were in like the twos and threes. So everyone was just scrambling, total chaos. Then rates jumped to eight. And now rates have kind of settled into the sixes and sevens, depending on people's scenario. And and let's just say that it it's it sits in the sixes and sevens for a good year. At that point, everybody starts to go, they start to let go of the breath they're holding and they start to go, okay, this is kind of the market now. Now I'm not kind of waiting and I'm not waiting and seeing. And now you'll see housing activity normalized. You'll see normal offers coming in, normal people moving for normal reasons. You know, right now people aren't moving because they're like, well, I have a 2% rate. Why would I move? And so inventory is a huge issue in our world today. But if rates start to sit, they're like, well, I guess this is it now. So do we still want this giant house after the kids are gone? Like, honey, isn't it time to kind of figure this out? Mm-hmm. And they'll start, they'll start making normal decisions. And so that's when we all kind of breathe a little bit when there's a little consistency in the market. Yeah. And whether that's going to be this year as the Fed, you know, eases rates and maybe we come down, maybe we see fives again. Um, but the problem, not the problem, Chris, but like if if rates drop back down and we don't just have this period of normalcy you'll see a spike in consumer insanity again. You'll see multiple offers. You'll see home prices just punching in certain markets. And I I don't think that's necessarily healthy either. 35 offers and people paying cash and overbidding price. I don't think that was really great. So 
it's really that consistency that we just kind of where we sit for a little bit and everyone kind of chills when we start to see a little bit of normalcy come in. And that that can last for a good period of time pending, you know, world crisis and insanity that we don't control. Yeah. So, I see. Like I said, you don't know. So it's better almost uh to stay, you know, flat for a period of time as opposed to starting to cut. Yeah, I mean that's one man's opinion. I mean, I I I'm I'm I want a healthy market all around. I want sellers that can sell with good reasonableness and 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 open up inventory and I want buyers to be able to you know, affordably buy the right next house for them. And, you know, I, I kind of want that balance. And normally you don't find that ever in real estate. So maybe I'm just insane, but like, you know, normally it's a seller's market or a buyer's market and there's tension in between. So I don't know. I like that. I like that balance though. Yeah. So I'm wondering from a paid, paid media perspective, like in the quote unquote normal or like the control period, like call it pre COVID, mm -hmm. right? Let's say that you're spending a thousand bucks on ads and you know your cost per lead is a hundred bucks and you're getting ten bucks, right? What does that look like in a period like this? Like does your I imagine your cost per lead goes up, but do you guys keep spending into the abyss or do you pull it back? Well, here's where the nuance comes in where things get really interesting. So on one side, you know, we can we can try to outspend our competition and push them out. And so there's a, there's a very real like, you know, strategy in that, um, you know, game where it's like, look, we're going to take some of you guys out. We're going to work really hard and that's going to be our strategy. And maybe we're overpaying, but it forces you to try to keep up. And maybe that, maybe that hurt. Maybe you can't do that. Yeah. So that's, that's a consideration. But the other thing that's interesting and unique is in the mortgage space, there's lots of angles to attack. So I'll give you an example. Um, Right now, our, our in-market retail team is doing about 95% of their businesses purchase transactions. Mm -hmm. um, but in our, in our direct-to-consumer division, 90 plus 5% of their business is cash-out refinances and HELOCs. Mm -hmm. um, there's, so, there's totally different worlds and different needs because sometimes a purchase market can be really hot. If rates went to the five, purchase market would be really hot, but cash-out and equity lines would still be a valuable commodity for a lot of people who are looking to manage their debt in better ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. You have to look at the trends of the entire market. You know, right now for, unfortunately, you know, there's more consumer debt than there's really ever have been in the existence of the United States American. And that consumer debt is with the, all the interest rate raises has gotten really jacked up on people because yeah. the short term interest rate raises affect things like credit. I mean, they pull mortgages up, there's trends there, but they really affect credit cards and other like short-term debt instruments. So now people find themselves with debt they really didn't want or need um, that they're kind of trying to figure out the solution for. And so they're looking to cash out their refinances because there's more equity in the house than ever before. Right, so right, right. You can really look to attack different market areas depending on, this, on the space and where your spend is and what's the most best option. And not every company is equipped to do that. Um, it's really hard to do purchase business if you're not local very difficult. There's some companies yeah. that really try to do that, but there's so much nuance in a purchase and there's it just, it's just difficult. Um, and then, you know, localized professionals have a hard time, you know, really staying on top of the refinance business that they should be. Um, I can say that cause I was one of them. So I know personally, like, it's just hard. You're out there hunting for purchases all the time and you just don't, you kind of don't look back very much. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the direct to consumer areas tend to really thrive there. 
So you got to have your foot in kind of both categories and and find your right strategy. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So when you distinguish between direct to consumer and retail, what's retail exactly? So, so yeah, sorry for the vernacular. I try to kind of avoid that, but we we kind of call our in market salespeople retail, like they're mm-hmm. in retail stores almost. You know, they're in, they're in localized offices. I got gotcha. you. Um, yeah, those are the people that like live in the community. They have an office in the community. They know the local down payment programs in their city. They know the bond programs in their city, and they tend to you know focus on purchase business. Got it. Got it. That makes the sense. other ones meeting the realtors in the weekends and going to open houses, and that, that's what I did. You know, coming up in the industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes perfect sense. Cool. Well, thank you. This has been an awesome portrait uh, of the industry, and um, and you guys got a lot of really good stuff going on. I think the uh, the growth in organic, I think, was well timed. Right. I think organic is a great strategy, no matter yeah. you know, no matter the market, but it's particularly awesome. Uh, in a down market where, you know, demand isn't uh, quite as high or cost might be increasing. What are you, uh, what's on your roadmap for the year? Like you have, um, like, what are some, some of your goals or some key investments that you're making? You know, you kind of have to skate where the puck is going type of a thing. And there's a lot of interesting signals in our marketplace that we're looking to continue to position correctly for, you know, so for example, right now we're, we're privileged and, 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 you know, proactively the number three largest lender to diverse communities across the United States. Um, but diverse communities are going to continue to be some of the main drivers of the purchase market going forward period. And so how you market to those communities needs to be done intelligently and thoughtfully and strategically to make the biggest impact. And so making sure that you you are positioned to do that in really thoughtful ways is crucially important. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we've been investing a lot into our Spanish strategy and, and, and lo- rolled out a lot of collateral and trainings and even loan applications in Spanish to try to start to get ahead of where the demographics are moving and, and just pay attention. Like, don't have your head in the sand. Mm, that's smart. Um, we have a lot on table to queue up towards the veteran community. The veteran community tends to be pretty underserved. And they have a unique product called a VA mortgage that is only accessible to veterans. Mm-hmm. And the the amount of veterans who actually use it is disgustingly low. It's like 10%. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a joke. And it's a tremendous product. So there's a huge angle of education there that is just devoid in our industry. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and then it's also kind of just how do we continue to push our loan officers to continue to expand themselves digitally to kind of, just like we talked about earlier, expand their reach and subsequently our reach um, by maximizing their digital brand presence. Yeah. And that's a whole, that's a lot of work because they, you know, they're, but it's worth, it's worthy work. It feels great to do. Um, but it's, again, it's, you know, you're, you're inspiring people to turn the camera on and that has its own slew of roadblocks. Yeah. Well, it doesn't have to be video necessarily. You're right. You're right. I think there's, there's definitely articles and, and, and podcasts and other areas people can lean into for sure. So that's a great comment. Or even like short form, like uh, tw- I don't know if you guys are on Twitter. I've yeah. recently I read Elon Musk's biography recently, um, <laughs> and he I don't know if you know this, so he tweets a lot. Obviously, you probably know that, uh, yes. but he's got like an uncontrollable compulsion to it. Like his inner circle is <laughs> like begging him to stop tweeting so much. <laughs> yeah, stop and it. So, like in such Force a revealing way. 
it's like it like he has no hobbies it's like kind of like a hobby for no. him. um but i've been on there recently and there's uh you know it's obviously short form text for the most part but going on there can give you some pretty good ideas for like text-based updates great call out man. um just like like for instance uh templates like templates and frameworks would be really helpful to provide people because fear when doing video is real when doing text writer's block is real right so if there can be some some frameworks it can be useful and like one that i just saw randomly and adopted recently was like you know if you want to do this avoid these mistakes Mm -hmm. right like that as the hook right everybody wants to know the mistakes to all the hooks yeah Fantastic. So anyway, um, yeah, that's really exciting. I think that's got legs, like really arming and equipping and training and, you know, enabling the, um, the retail team to like continue yeah. growing their own businesses. I think that's scalable and smart. Like I think B2B should do that more often. Agreed. Very cool. All right, man. Well, this has been, uh, an amazing interview. I really enjoyed it. Um, Let's go. Let's do the lightning round. Absolutely. I'm ready. All right. Here we go. If you were to start a side hustle, what side hustle would that be? So I had a side hustle for like 13 years. Yeah. In, in 2008, I started a CrossFit gym out of my wow. garage back when I was kind of a, in, the, in the early stages of my career. And I kept that for 13 years before it just became too much with my life and kids and all that stuff. And, and I, gave, I handed it over to the existing management team. Um, but fi- I, I, you know, I think health and fitness are so intimately connected to our professional life and our, and our family life that it's just, it's, you know, I think we need to be working out all the time and we need to be figuring that out and finding whether that's walking, hiking, yoga, like I don't really care anymore, just yeah. be, be active. And so, you know, because I'm all, I'm, I'm in a gym every day. It's like, well, if, if I started the side hustle, maybe I'd own the gym, but you know, that's a funny side, side part. Yeah. No, that's cool. You know, I've always hated cardio, like the idea of getting on a treadmill for an hour. I'm like, heck no. Um, you want to you hack on this that I've just solved? So I yeah. just lost 55 pounds in the last 100 days. Um, I had I had a degenerative hip. I have an issue with my hips. And so I gained a lot of weight trying to manage the pain. And I finally had my left hip replaced last year. And then after my hip healed, I kind of was like, okay, I got to get my, I got to reclaim myself a little bit. Yeah. And of course, cardio is terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. So what I started doing was just walking on an incline, a 15 degree incline at like two to three miles an hour. And then eventually I started putting on a, a rucksack or a weighted backpack. And, um, it just, it, I don't feel that like death cardio feeling. I feel, it feels very manageable. Yeah. I put on a show, I watch a show and I just hoof, hoof it. And yeah. I end up sweating like a dog and burning tons of calories and it just doesn't eat my soul. So that helps anybody listening, like just go on an incline three miles an hour. If you're feeling like it's too easy, put a little weight, weight on yourself and you'll just watch it. You'll, you'll crush it. But how's that better? So incline and, and weight seems like it'd make it harder and like, it's, yeah, it's harder. Yeah. And worse. Sucks. But if it's, if, if walking on the incline is too easy and you're like, I'm not even, I don't feel like I'm breaking a sweat at all. Then oh, just yeah. put a little weight on and then go enjoy yourself. It's it doesn't soul crush you, but it definitely you'll earn it. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I um I started chopping wood with oh. uh with um in my backyard. 
with an audio book and i oh, found that's that so barbaric i love it that's, that's so good that turned out i mean i have like some woods behind my house i'll go i'll like go out to the woods and like pull all this shit back and just like cut it up <laughs> <laughs> oh it's so good yeah it's awesome that's such a man move right there it's hysterical yeah it's fun all right cool question number two is um top three books authors influencers podcasts that have made an impact in your in your life all right we'll do, we'll do uh we'll do these so number one um going increasingly old school dale carnegie how to win friends and influence people love that and love that. and what the slant though is that read it in terms of how you would execute a social strategy yeah okay a social media strategy. Read it with the lens of that, and it'll it'll open up your eyes to all the things wrong you're doing on social. It's it's mm. fantastic. Uh, I'm a big Gary Vaynerchuk nerd and fan, and so he one of his classic books is Jab 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 Right Hook. Mm-hmm. Another really good book for people that are just trying to figure out like their own strategy on social media. And then we'll go a little spiritual. And number three, uh, The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. Um, was a very impactful book at a very important time in my journey of my faith that I hope for other people too to kind of experience. The Great Divorce. Yeah, so the first two I'm very familiar with. I've never heard of The Great Divorce. I got to throw a weird one at you, just a little just a little sidewinder. Uh, it, I don't want to give it away, but it has to do with a guy dying and going, uh, being shown the, the heaven and hell and the differences in a very unique perspective that uh, had never entered into my faith conversation before. So I, I really enjoyed it. And it's mm. just a story. Like, it's not like a, you know, it's not like a, you know, science textbook. It's just a, just an intro short story. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. I'm going to be on a long uh, plane ride soon. Uh, so I might have to pick that up. There you go. Cool. Uh, and then question number three is how do you avoid burnout and how do you also help <laughs> your team to avoid it? Oh man. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm such a high, I always view myself as like an overachiever and like a, a and so I, I'm very familiar with burnout. And I feel like sometimes if you're pushing yourself really hard, it's hard to avoid it entirely. I feel like you're going to, you're going to find yourself with that, um, you know, rest, help, uh, delegating. Um, I, I, but I think the ultimate key, which is almost impossible, but I'll just say it anyway, is just to not take everything so freaking seriously. It mm, just that's isn't. A good one. You know, like I, I, some of the other day told me like in a hundred years, no one's going to know who you are anymore. And yeah. I was like, ouch, like yeah. real talk, <laughs> you know, like right. full disappearance of my existence. Um, and then sometimes that helps me a little bit, like let go of all yeah. the stuff I'm holding on to so tightly. hundred percent. Yeah. Like a detachment. And it's so true. You know, like I think our mind has a way of making everything so important in the moment. Oh, it's like so, so important, you know? Cool. Well, that's good perspective, man. I appreciate that. Um, that. That was an awesome lightning round. So, uh, I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And for the listeners here, if you enjoyed it also, why not share this with a friend? Uh, drop us a five-star review wherever you get your pods. We really appreciate that. Uh, or otherwise, you know, just download, download the full thing and listen back to it. Uh, Alec, for everybody that wants to learn more about you and uh, more about Lone Depot, where would you direct them to? Google. And I always say mm-hmm. that a little tongue in cheek because I feel like from like back, back in sales days, if you can't be found on Google on the first page, like you got to, yeah. you better work a little harder as a salesperson. Yeah. 
Um, but I look, I have I have my own podcast about modern lending where we talk about strategies like this. I'm on YouTube. Uh, I'm on all the social platforms trying to figure it out the best I can. And so love to hang out with anybody on any of those places. Cool. I love your uh, your LinkedIn bio. It's like, hey, hit me up, you know, send me a DM. And then in parentheses, it's like, just don't send me a spammy uh, or a spammy message so five seconds right away, later. Dude, let's connect on LinkedIn and then mm-hmm. I get spammed for business in the first 10 seconds. That's great. I hate that. That's like so <laughs> annoying. Like literally the the instant auto DM, like oh. why would anybody do that? That's the worst. I guess maybe it works every once in a while. It can't cool. work. <laughs> well, uh, stay on the line just for just a second. We're going to wrap up. But for everybody else, that was another exciting episode of Revenue Driven CMO. And we will see you next time. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us here today. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at revenuedrivencmo.com. That's revenuedrivencmo.com. And hey, exclusive for listeners of this podcast, Web Mechanics will do 10 to 20 hours of work for you for free. Literally no sales calls, no BS. Just give them a problem and they will put a team to work for you for free for 10 to 20 hours. Even if you're already a client, if you're struggling with demand gen, lead gen, SEO, SEM, Google ads, LinkedIn ads, conversion optimization, if you can't get Facebook or meta ads to work for the life of you, or you can't figure out attribution, Web Mechanics will take a good hard look at whatever problem you give them, whatever programs you put in front of them, and they will give you an objective, informed opinion, plus some advice from 10 to 20 hours of senior level attention. And that's just because you're a listener of this podcast. So I would suggest take them up on this offer. It's ridiculous. Go to revenuedrivencmo.com slash free. Fill out the two-minute form and you will not regret it. Literally zero downside, unlimited potential for growth. So do yourself a favor, revenuedrivencmo.com slash free. No hyphens, no punctuations. You will be happy about that decision.